Geopolitics and Empire is joined by author, blogger, journalist Ian Davis of iandavis.com, also contributor to Geopolitics and Empire. Welcome back, Ian. Uh, thanks very much, boy. It's nice to be here. Uh, I enjoy your work. A lot of people are enjoying uh, your work. You're frequently a guest on TNT Radio as well. And um, today we're going to talk about uh, your your recent articles that you've written uh, specifically on the social credit system, the global social credit system, the social credit system in China, which some people deny. Uh, it's it's a very lengthy your uh, article, and it's interesting. You know, we're on the same frequency. I you mentioned as well a recent interview that Aman Jabi, this uh, Silicon Valley um, expert. Uh, did with uh, man in america and i had watched that as well recently before you uh, sent me this article and it was really an excellent uh interview as well a lot a lot of ground was was covered there so you know where do we start now when we talk about china's role in the global social credit system well i think probably uh armin jarby's interview is not a bad place to start actually because um you know what he was talking at talking about was the the fundamental uh, technological aspects of the global social credit system so how that would operate in um in countries around the world and we see it in countries around the world being rolled out everywhere it's being rolled out in the us in europe in the uk in china in russia every the same the same idea and it's it's fundamentally as he pointed out the key element of it is digital identity so that there has to be some sort of digital identity that links to biometric data. So that could be facial recognition. It could be iris scans. It could be DNA. It could be any kind of thing that identifies you as an individual that links you to your digital identity. Your digital identity is then used to access a variety of services. So this could be financial services, so it could be banking, it could be retail services, it could be anything. So we commonly see, as we 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 in twenty seventeen, I believe it was, AliPay launched this uh, system in China called Smile to Pay, where you could you could it was facial recognition, so you didn't actually need a card or anything like that. <clears throat> Excuse me, your face is your biometric data that would be recognized that would link to your um digital identity your digital identity would open up your access to your digital currency wallet which would enable you to pay for goods and services in selected stores in china that were operating this system in 2017 but but it's not just in china similarly uh you could have there were there were trials of exactly the same system from a technology obviously not run by alipay but but technologically the same system facial recognition to pay in the us in denmark in the uk in france and so so what amanjabi was uh pointing out was that was that this is the these are the technological components of what we could call a digital prison a lot of you hear a lot of people talking about the digital pr prison planet and so forth now it doesn't necessarily mean that it will be a digital prison it doesn't have to be a digital prison but if we consider what 
people are also talking about how, for example, the programmability of digital currency, what what that will mean in terms of potentially enforcing uh, policy decisions and enforcing us to obey policy. So the programmability, as we heard Bo Lai speak about, uh, who's uh, current director of the IMF or deputy director of the IMF, is he, I think, um, uh, but former head of the uh, People's Bank of China, he spoke about how it could be programmed in order to use, uh, for example, uh, governments could use it. He was talking about targeted policy, for example, uh, enabling people to get access to food. Which, which, you know, sort of food coupons, if you like. So people could have food coupons added to their digital currency. So this would enable them to access food, which sounds great. That sounds like a really good idea. But unfortunately, uh, when we look at countries like, you know, if we look at what happened in Canada during the truckers protests, if we look what what's happened to many independent media outlets around the world that have had their yourself included and myself included that have had um, access to to funding cut off because of of uh, daring to um, promote uh, questioning of, of, of certain ideologies and certainly questioning the state which is frowned upon uh, so you get your, your access to funding or access to financial services cut off if we put that together uh, so if we put digital ID with access to a digital currency wallet, then what that means is it is likely that people will be able to limit your access depending upon some decision, some arbitrary decision made by the state. So, you know, for example, you might not be able to buy a, um, a certain me. You might not be able to buy certain media because you are deemed to be the wrong person to be accessing that media so we are that that's what the framework that that jabi described would enable does that necessarily mean that that is how it will be used well that all depends upon what we think about the the level of trust that we think we can put in government or and multinational corporations like the banks that would be running this system so if you think that they're entirely trustworthy organizations that would never do anything to to uh you know uh, discriminate against people because of their opinions or views or to discriminate people against people because they don't think they're pursuing the policy that they want them to pursue then we have nothing to worry about but if you realise that government is not and these multinational corporations are perfectly capable of abusing that kind of power that would be afforded to them by the quote unquote digital prison planet, which is which is what we're going to go and talk about the social credit system. Then obviously there are massive risks there that we need to be aware of and wary of, I would suggest. Riots across Europe, unprecedented food and energy inflation, increasing military conflict around the globe, and a rising digital police state. The fourth turning is here, and so is the Expat Money Summit. The free online event, expatmoneysummit.com, is back and will help you navigate these turbulent times. 
featuring dozens of renowned experts such as Dr. Ron Paul, international man Doug Casey, Jim Rogers, and Mark Faber, the summit will reveal how you can reclaim your freedom abroad, reduce your tax bill, protect your wealth, obtain multiple citizenships and residencies, become part of a like-minded global community, and more. Founder of expatmoney.com, Mikhail Thorup, will be your guide on this journey to protect yourself from economic collapse, World War III, authoritarian Western regimes, and Klaus Schwab's Great Reset. Simply go to expatmoneysummit.com and enter your email to reserve a free ticket to the event. Do it now. There's a number of things there. You know, this morning, Lagarde, I think it was Lagarde who came out and said, oh, what do you know? The digital euro won't actually be anonymous. Tell us something we didn't know, uh, you know, and... and it, well, what you're saying just came to my mind when we talk about social credit, social credit system. And the two keys, you know, that you mentioned that I mentioned many people is digital ID uh, and digital currency. So the social in social credit will be the ID, your identification, digital ID, and the credit is the currency, digital currency. And it, it's like, it's important because I think your identity will be the basis for the approval or denial of your access to anything you know life services you know th that's what they call in some countries in africa they're calling the digital id um life services uh, access to public and private life services so just as you for for me i i, I know you you're not a man of faith but you know the bible it talks about a mark of the beast system which i i, I believe that it implies it's like in the book of Daniel, you know, when when they're told to bow down to this pagan, you know, Babylonian statue. And I think that's what your it's going to be based on your identity. So have you bowed down to the state or not? If you have, then you will be approved. Your your digital identity will capture whether you have bowed down or not, uh, either literally or or symbolically, and then you will be continue to be approved for access to life services but if you don't um then you'll 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 be denied and you know there there was a visual example recently the russian this is slightly off topic but the russian uh, one of the russian ministers went to mongolia and he was with one of the mongolian ministers and they went uh to the Genghis Khan Genghis Khan statue which i think i've also visited and the mongolian minister literally bowed down to the statue he was literally because that's their religion this shaman buddhist religion and the Orthodox Christian Russian minister, he did not bow down. And there was an, a huge scandal in Mongolian media calling him a Nazi, fascist, all these names. For me, that's like a visual example of this, where still to this day, he refused to bow down to the statue. But, um, you know, I, maybe on that last note, I was going to get to that before we dig deeper into the social credit system. You mentioned trust. And there's people who... I call it a Stockholm syndrome for people defending the social credit system. Uh, th they either say it doesn't exist, um, or if it does exist, it's 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 great. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but it's like they they view the government as their benevolent daddy. Yet, you know, if you take China's case, a generation or two ago, it carried out democide. So did the Russian, so the Soviet government. Uh, you know, I've got three governments for crying out loud. I don't trust any of them. And so uh, your thoughts on some of these people who say 
oh, no, no, it doesn't exist. And if you prove to them that it does, it's kind of disingenuous. Then they're like, okay, it does, but it's it's fine, you know, as long as you obey the government. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think uh, we, when we talk about the social credit system in China, the social... The, Let's look at it this way. The, the reason that you and I are sat here talking about something called the social credit system is because the Chinese government has put a name on it. The, Chi the Chinese government has named this, this structure of, for social control and basically for social engineering and for technocratic control of the population and all business and all industry has called it the social credit system and that that's why we end up we we talk about a similar thing in you know in the uk in germany in moldova or where, wherever we might be but but so there's this one thing that this this overarching bureaucratic uh legal framework that they've created which is called the social credit system but the, but it is implicit. So, so you could get people to say that's all it is, and that you often do hear people say that's all it is. It's just this big sort of unwieldy, typically Chinese bureaucracy that doesn't really work that very well. It is, you know, it's a bit hit and miss. It's been rolled out here and not there. It's basically a paper shuffling exercise. That's the argument. But the point is that the the intention of it is is social control and and uh, social engineering. And the methodology it uses is a system of reward and punishment, not necessarily for criminal acts, but for bad credit or misdeeds. So this is we're not talking about punishing people because they've broken the law. We're talking about punishing people in a social context because they haven't complied. They've done something amiss, a misdeed. They've done something wrong. Well, that that. If, if that was all it was, then the critics would be justified in saying it doesn't really exist. It's just a bureaucracy. But it has been applied. It's been applied all over China. Not everywhere. Not, ev not every province in China is, is fully on board with it. But certainly in the big urban areas, it is it is used as Jabi described. It is linked. It's a, it's a pub. There's a public private partnership there that are bringing together organizations like the chinese courts who are working in partnership with with private finance and private credit providers such as for example sesame credit who are working together to both in sesame credit's case to offer the uh chinese popula population access to credit because a big i'm talking about financial credit because a big impetus for it initially was to to move the Chinese population towards consumerism. So how do you how do you get the Chinese population to become a consumerist society, which hitherto it hasn't been very hasn't been not not consumerist in the same way that the West has been, for example? How do you do that? Where well, you offer them credit? Well, that's what they've done in the West. So that's what they're doing in China, offering the Chinese people access easier access to credit but the but the 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 force the the punishment side comes in when you fall behind on your payments so there's there's this incentive don't fall behind on your payments because if you are you will be publicly shamed 
you will you'll you'll they they have the the courts come to and people that don't pay court fines for example or people that fall behind on the the payment of court fines they create these things called lao lai lists which then get published on places like tiktok and placed on on social media in china on tencent and and on, on and, and publicly listed on websites on government websites so people can look and find out who has been shamed and who has who has not complied with their credit orders now now in china the interesting thing is so pe people say that that's got nothing to do with the social credit system this is this is nonsense the only the only reason that these public private partnerships are acting that way the only reason that there is a public private partnership between the courts and the private credit providers is because it specifically says in the guidance for the social credit system that that's what should happen so that is what is happening so that it is it is undoubtedly inextricably linked it, it is part of the social credit system now the interesting thing is that you get people off people will often say well you know people in china aren't aware of the social credit system they don't know that this is happening to them that's not true people in china you know there have been many many large scale surveys of the chinese population asking them what they think about the social credit system so clearly they know what the social credit system is otherwise they wouldn't have been able to answer any of the questions but i mean the interesting thing about it is the vast majority of chinese people in those surveys look on it favorably they think it's a good idea because you know it's been presented them as the idea is to say for example stop uh people jumping fares on on public transport or to stop people uh misbehaving on public transport for example you know you know uh not wearing a mask when they should be wearing a mask or or uh you know uh, uh anti com committing to anti-social behavior perhaps so from a, a lot of chinese people who have got a very different uh understand or very different um uh, cultural heritage in terms of their relationship with government than perhaps we have in uh, you know a more you could argue a more liberal kind of tradition in the west are more are more willing to to see the potential benefits of such a system so when they've been surveyed they've all kind of said um you know or the vast majority have said i think we're talking 70 percent plus have said that yeah it seems like they're, they're, they look on it favorably but of course there's also in china the concern because of the social credit system that speaking out against the government isn't really a very good idea as many dissidents in china have discovered who are now you know uh, either exiled or um languishing in prison so so there's that aspect to it as well but nonetheless that does mean that a sizable proportion are at least at least question it and are a bit hesitant about it and there is a small minority it's only a tiny minority but when we're talking a tiny minority in china we are talking about many millions of people who are vehemently opposed to it so so if you think about how that kind of system because it's the, the same sort of control system is the kind of thing that we might be facing in the in the west well we, it's not we might we are i mean it's be it's being rolled out now in the west 
Uh, a classic example is in the UK, we've just had the uh, Online Safety Act, which is imminently going to receive royal assent. It's gone through all the readings, so it's, go it's going to be enacted, uh, which places an onus on public-private partnership of between between the state and its regulator, Ofcom, and uh, the big social media uh, companies like like Meta and, and X and so forth to basically police what people say online, which is very similar to uh, the system that they have in China, which is part of the social credit system. So it's going to be, it's the same idea, but it's just that in the West, we don't call it the social credit system. And the reason that people, that, that no government in the West would ever admit that it is the social credit system is because it's not a great, it's not, you know, we are the, the Western's kind of liberal mindset, the book, our, our cultural political heritage is very resistant to government control. So we would bridle against that. So so in order to in, introduce the same system that is being rolled out in China on Western populations, it can't be as overt as it is in China. It has to be more surreptitious. It has to be it has to be slipped in incrementally under the radar, which is why which is why they don't have, as they do in China, a single legislative framework to encompass the whole thing. We don't have that. What we are going to get is is legislation here, legislation there that 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 we won't necessarily put together into into one cohesive social credit system. But if you step back and start putting and you do that and you start putting that legislation together and looking at what the what the overall social impact and political impact will be, it's a social credit system. It's the same thing. I think you absolutely nailed it. You know, it's it's 1984 and Brave New World both lead us essentially to the same destination. And again, your articles are very long uh, for geopolitics and empire, very well footnoted and researched. And I'm looking at, you know, this is Stanford University. You you cite the 2014 planning document. Actually, when you sent me the article, you hadn't included the link, but I, I just happened to find one from Stanford University, you know, a good academic source, June 2014. This is an actual translation of the Chinese government, it says planning outline for the construction of a social credit system 2014-2020. So where, please, people who follow me, who comment, some of you Chinese people, maybe Chinese agents, I don't know, Western Chinese agents who say there's no social credit system in China. We, here's the Chinese planning document. It says construction planning outline for the construction of a social credit system. They're like, Seriously, some, these people are disingenuous who, who who say there is no such system. Number one, uh, I also thought I'd mention. I mean, just going to back back that final point that I'm talking about, where I think in China people are not taught the history. You know, they're they they've been erased. The whole Tiananmen Square thing has been erased from their minds. 20th century history, and it's like, look, all of our governments have carried out democide. My, okay, I'm a Croatian citizen. My, my Croatian government has been a, it's been a communist totalitarian government. For a few years, it was a Nazi totalitarian government that put my grandpa in prison in for six months in a hole in the ground. Um, the U.S. government is totalitarian. You know, the things they've bombed, million, killed millions of people around the world. 
Uh, here in Mexico, I'm a Mexican citizen. We the Mexican authorities literally kidnap and 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 hand over to cartels Mexican citizens. Am I supposed to trust these people? Or the right, you know, again, the Chinese government killed millions in the 20th century. The Russian Soviet government. We can go on and on. So how can we trust them? We can't. Tomorrow they might just turn around and you know put us in a gulag or jail for the rest of our lives or actually kill us that's the nature of government um and so for me there's no excuses you mentioned some of these people who trust their government no no i'm not going to trust <laughs> any uh government and then just to move on then to the system in the u.s as you just described i think what's going on and you start your article i think you cite mike pence and we are hearing in the west you know oh you know, um, I, I, you know, the, the the Chinese dystopian social credit system. It's like focus on the Chinese dystopian credit system. Look over there. Don't look over here. I think it's a head fake. It's like as you said, the system's already in the West, in Europe, in U.S., Latin America, uh, even in Africa. Now it's it's already halfway built. It's being activated. It's being deployed. And I think, um, you know, they're saying China, China, China social credit system is to divert attention from the u.s and the west putting the finishing touches on the social credit system here and you know sometimes i wonder what people here will say when they've figured it out uh it'll be too late um and and maybe they won't even notice because it's going to be you know cool it's going to be like gamification it's going to be gamified uh you know you get all these cool points and, and 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 stuff and so you know any any further thoughts on why the west says china social credit system you know, don't look over here and, and any other, other thoughts on its development here uh, in the non-China space. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's uh, the idea of, you know, a bogeyman, an enemy, somebody that you can point at so that, I mean, every kind of demagogue has done that. I mean, you know, we, we can look at Hitler, you know, using if you if you interesting, if you look at Hitler's speeches, the times when he spoke about when he was particularly aggressive and, you know, personally speaking about in front of his population about the Jews personifying them as the enemy. He only did that when he was in political trouble himself. When he was in political trouble, his reaction was to blame the other. So uh, it's not my fault. It's their fault. Blame them. So so. That is typical demagoguery that we hear from political leaders all over the world all the time. Whenever whenever they want to distract from what they are doing, they blame someone else. So on a on a brought on a grander grander scale, on a kind of world govern governance scale, you have blocks of people doing that. So you have you have the, the what people call the unilateral world order or whatever people want to call it the unipolar world order um you know they all the west nato g7 western alliance blame china it's all china's fault uh blame russia it's russia's fault not because it is not because not because of you know the problems that the world is going through that 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 have been that are global in term genuinely global as in you know the rollout of of lockdown measures which was everywhere the shutting down of economies everywhere simultaneously that that you know china weren't doing it but the, the but the us was doing it no everyone was doing it they were all doing they were all doing the same thing so so but you can you can try and blame it on another country just so that your own population 
doesn't realize oh no actually it, it's not china's fault it's your fault your you it's you know it's the it's the my own ad, ad government that has done this to me not china but that's that's the way it's used that's the way that's this diversionary divide divide and rule divide and conquer that's the way it's always used so if we look at something like in the us the recent rollout of the fed now system so the, the fed now system the, the first thing that they said about the Fed now system that the, 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 the Fed were very keen to say. So the, so the Fed now system is this faster payment system for potentially for all transactions. But it specifically works pretty well, surprisingly, for digital currency transactions. So the first thing the government said, or I'm sorry, not the government, <laughs> Freudian slip. The first thing the Federal Reserve said when it rolled out the Fed now was, don't worry, this has got nothing to do with central bank digital currency. Now, in China, China has been working with the Bank for International Settlements openly for years, trying to develop fast payment systems for central bank digital currency. It openly, it, that's, it openly talks about it. The Enbridge project that it's been working with the Bank for International Settlements is about that. That's what it's about. And the Chinese government doesn't deny it. The Chinese government, yeah, that's what it's about. That's what we're doing. But you can't say the same thing in the United States because people, uh, you know, we've already seen quite a few states react against the potential of central bank digital currency being rolled out. So when you develop a specific system, a fast payment system, which is designed to enable cross-border payments with all forms of digital currency, including central bank digital currency, if you're a U.S. politician, you have to deny that completely or a, U or a U.S. financial leader, you know, Jerome Powell or someone like that. You have to deny that completely and point at China and say, no, that's what they're doing. We're not doing that. It's a, it's a total deception. FedNow is designed to enable cross-port. And this is another thing they said. When they first rolled out FedNow, they said, don't worry, it's just for domestic use. We're not we're not considering it being a fast pack, faster payment system for cross-border transactions. There's nothing to do with that, except when you look at the, some of the people that are behind the FedNow project, they were openly talking about using it for cross-border payments months ago, months before it was launched. So what we are fed is disinformation. What we are fed is not true. So how what, what relation has that got, you, seeing as we're talking about social credit system, what relation has that got to social credit? Well, a big part of the social credit system is not just controlling individuals, it's controlling all business transactions. So BTB, business to business transactions. If you can bring that together on one single ledger, which is what the Bank of International Settlements have been talking about, what they're calling the universal ledger for all cross-border payments globally. So this is all cross-border payments, which... 95% of those cross-border payments are business-to-business -business transactions. If that's done with digital currency, which is programmable so that you can program things like smart contracts into it or payment versus payment or delivery versus payment so that it, it, oh, the transaction is only triggered when certain conditions are met. 
So, for example, you might program into that 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 uh, a company in China can only invest in a in a startup in the US if the bonds have the right ESG rating. So, if if the bonds have got the right ESG re rating, then physically that that company will only be able to make that transaction. If the condition, if the conditions that are deemed to be necessary are met, for example, the bond has the right ESG rating, and all of that information, which the Chinese have been working on openly with the Bank for International Settlement, which the US has also been cooperating with the Bank for International Settlement on the same thing, but denying it, so it's got something else called Fed Now, which is essentially a faster payment system, which is part of the same idea those business to business can uh, which is worth something like 1.5 trillion dollars a year those bi those business to business transactions can be controlled monitored surveilled from a centralized database effectively which is the bis called the universal ledger so this system is being created for for unimaginable levels of centralized control of global economic activity this is happening now it's it's actually being rolled out right now and everyone's talking about whether or not the social credit system is real i mean it's 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 mind-boggling that 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 we could be so far advanced down the path of something and people are still wondering whether the path exists. I mean, we are miles down that road now. <laughs> I mean, no, the, 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 these people are dangerous. So now these people that pop up, um, you know, that some of them have blogs and, and I've shared them in the past and they're dangerous because they're now distracting us from, as you said, the, the, this, this path is built out and they're saying, no, 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 it's not. Uh, you're actively participating now in this dystopian tyranny and i i thought i'd mention also um before moving on i found this article far eastern affairs just published uh you know it says uh th this month uh, it looks like they're these are russians i'm not sure it says place of publication minneapolis moscow usa russia far eastern affairs china's social credit system the abstract says i'll just read the first two sentences China's nationwide social credit system, also called social rating system, aims to collect and analyze data on companies and individuals to assess their economic and social influence, civic qualities. Think about that, what you were alluding to earlier. So imagine if the government doesn't like your civic quality. I mean, I, that can be interpreted as your religion, your political view, your, your philosophy, um, it, it continues, assess your responsibility and financial reliability. And here's this sentence, which freaks me out. It says the digital deterrence system. That's like a military term, deterrence. It's like the government has this deterrence system against its citizens. It says the digital deterrence system for regulating public life, again, regulating public life, regulating your life, appears to be a continuation of the Chinese social experiments of the second half of the 20th century. What happened in the second half of the 20th century in China? You know, Maoism, Great Leap Forward, Cultural Revolution, millions dead. So this academic 
article written by Russians is saying it's a continuation of the democide of the 20th century. This is absolutely crazy. Uh, but, you know, m- moving on, b- before touching on y- your previous article, which we had not talked about, uh, you know, any further thoughts on the social credit system? You also talk about the smart meters, uh, smart grids, you know, um, and I think this will be part of smart uh, cities. So, uh, and, and then again, you, you include this interview with one of the the architects, this ch- Chinese architect, uh, um, what's his name, Lin Jinyu, Jin. who yeah. he says, like, again, he's admitting you know, there would have been no yellow vests in France if France had the social credit system. So again, where are these people who's, who are saying it doesn't exist? And if it does, it's a good thing. We're here. You have the architect saying we would use it to uh, against citizens to, to put down. Um, you know, he basically in one way admitted it'd be used to uphold a corrupt government against, you know, citizens looking for freedom and liberty. And so any other thoughts on if we go extend a bit further the social credit system because it's going to come down to smart meters controlling energy uh smart cities i read an article yesterday that in california they're talking about banning classic cars so i i've been talking about this like they're going to flat out ban cars like you, you mm-hmm. literally won't be able to have a car uh and then uh, you know and, and any thoughts on how to survive <laughs> because it's gonna yeah. they're gonna ban our cars my accounts are going to be shot. I'm, I'm, it's like, I feel like literally it's going to be, uh, you know, to feed my kit, I'm going to literally have to go forage for like some stray, uh, in, in a cornfield and some berries yeah. to feed my kit. I mean, <laughs> any, any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I mean, one of the interesting things. So if we talk about the 2014 planning document for the social credit system in China, it was very much about it, it openly stated that the point of it was to to uh, enable the scientific planning of society, the scientific planning of Chinese Chinese society with the purpose of uh, controlling society through the allocation of resources. So so if you you control the allocation of resources, which you so all so what do we mean by resources? Well, obviously, there's financial resources. That's one that's one pathway to control resources. But there's energy, food, um, you know, educate, you know, every every aspect of of our society is is dependent upon resources. So if you control the distribution of resources from a centralized administrative point that gives you power over everything and that 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 is what you know the environmental social and governance ratings are about esg ratings are about which convert sustainable development goals into market regulations because what it means is that companies are only going to get businesses are only going to get investment and this is all businesses this isn't just multinational corporations this is people that need to raise capital from their local bank to open up a new shop it's it's down to that level that's that's what it's designed to be down to that level so you will only be able to open up a new shop say uh it, to to raise money if you meet sustainable development goals. So, you know, you can't open a new shop selling lead acid batteries because they they don't meet sustainable development goals. You've got to open a shop selling lithium ion batteries. 
so you so you you're utterly controlled right down to the individual level and right down to the small business level so you've got the corporate social credit system and the personal credits social credit system and they they you know they there are many places and that's a good example we could perhaps talk about where these things would would uh overlap because obviously small businesses are really important for for us in our local communities and for individuals that's most small to medium-sized enterprises that's where most of us earn our living from you know the 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 driving part of any kind of modern economy is small to medium-sized enterprises that's where the bulk of growth is the big multinational corporations they're simply sitting on top of the pile meet and how are they making their slice of the pie by th them controlling resources now so what the social credit system is set up from the business side of it the corporate side of it is to enable this partnership between the state so to give to enhance the control of the corporate state to be kind of uh, give it the authority of the political state to bring the two things together. So you're bringing you're bringing the the economic power of the corporate state into partnership with the authority, the political authority of the political state, and then saying, right, this partnership is going to control all resources across the entire entirety of society. That is basically fundamentally what the, the but what the overarching framework of the social credit system, as it's as it is published in China, is about. But it is also the model that is being rolled out everywhere else. It's not just in China. The same model is in Russia. The same model is in Germany. The same model is in the US, in the UK, in Ireland, everywhere. It's the same idea. So, so one of the interesting things that that came up when I was researching this article was that, uh, in for example, in uh, I think it was 2020, the UK government announced that it would require all businesses to make their to give their sustainability report at the end of every every year, which means that if that business wanted to raise capital for something. That would have its sustainability report would have a um, a uh, an impact on the ESG rating that would be put on its bonds if it wanted to raise money. In a year, a year later, not not a similar idea, not not a kind of uh, a variation on the theme. The exact same policy, exactly the same policy, was rolled out in China requiring chinese businesses to do exactly the same as british businesses now we are supposed to believe that that the uk for example i mean rishi sunak has been very scathing about the he's also been he's been both scathing and he has been uh offering offering some kind of reconciliation with so both but he has certainly been scathing about china in many many regards so and the West is supposedly opposed to China and China is supposedly opposed to the West. But they're rolling out exactly the same policies. This not not similar, the same. So how does that happen? How do you have countries all over the world 
rolling out the same policies at the same time, simultaneously. How does that possibly happen? If Especially when they're supposed to be in some sort of conflict with each other, especially when they are actually in physical conflict with each other, as we're currently seeing in Ukraine. I know that that's between Ukraine and Russia on the surface, but I mean, let's be honest, it's not. It's a it's NATO's proxy war with Russia. So so they're actually physically people are dying. People are being killed because they are in conflict with each other. And yet they're all pursuing the same policies at the same time. Central bank digital currency, digital ID, the biosecurity state, uh, you name it. It's the same wherever you look. So that means that there is centralized coordination. And anyone that says that there isn't, so um, we what would we call that? We might call that a global agenda, I guess. We could call that a global uh, agenda. To deny that that exists is simply to just deny all the evidence. It's, it's simply to say, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. They're doing exactly the same thing in China as they're doing in Russia, as they're doing in the UK, as they're doing in the US. But that doesn't mean that there's a centralised, coordinated policy agenda. Of course it does. It, it, you, it's, it's nonsensical to, to imagine that that, that that global agenda isn't at play when we simply look at what these countries are doing. And what that means is the social credit system which is which is overtly stated in China is the global social credit system that is being rolled out everywhere. Yeah, I think you nail it. And what came to mind as well, I saw uh, someone post yesterday on social media talking about Agenda 2030 and all this, this shoplifting crisis where you see, especially in the West, right, where they're just, the, the, the cops are standing down and the gov local governments are standing down and l letting uh, looters run roughshod, right? Just uh, pillaging, you know, supermarkets, retail shops, clothing stores, you name it, across the U.S. and the West. And, you know, it's like part two of COVID. The COVID-1984 policies were to shut down the independent, middle, you know, medium-sized businesses, um, a war of attrition to starve them economically so they capitulate and collapse, wipe out the middle class and small businesses. That was phase one COVID. And then, you know, millions of businesses, tens of millions were shut down across the planet here in Mexico, you know, millions, you know, mom and pop shops shut down. Phase two now is let the looting continue. And those shops are going to have to collapse because uh, they've lost so much money. And then now you're creating the you know i thought as well during covid you had covid agents even here in mexico like the state would send agents to your small business medium-sized business to make sure you were complying with the with the covid protocols if you weren't you'd be shut down and fined uh and now that you know they've created the climate core in the u.s the biden administration you know when i was in austin texas recently i saw many shops have the rainbow flag lgbt stickers just on the shop and, uh, you know, you put all this together, it's kind of like what you're talking about, the SG. In the future, your business is going to be have to be up to speed on COVID protocols. Uh, it will have to yeah. have the correct ESG, you know, green score. Uh, you, you'll have to be, you know, LGBT friendly. You'll have to have the rainbow flag outside. Mm -hmm. That's the ESG environment. 
social right governance and so if you don't have any of that i guess you won't be able to make a living and this sort of then takes us we don't have much time to talk about it but just to get your core thought on your previous article you you wrote for geopolitics and empire synthetic hegemonic currency for a multipolar global economy and i think this just proves that uh, again, this is a global system. There's no East versus West. All of the central banks, China and Russia and Europe and Africa and America and Asia, South Asia, wherever, Pacific, that all of the central banks will be linked. And that, in fact, a multipolar global economy is required. So this, you know, this takes yeah. us back. This is why it makes sense that BRICS was coined by a uh, world economic forum young global leader this indian lady um in 2001 in conjunction with the goldman sachs banker and my thesis that to have a true world government then they specifically discuss talk talk about it as a world federation synonymous world federation world government if you think of a federation it's like a constitutional system where you have to have all of the parties the states the 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 together equally in this federation so to have the real world government it's got to be multipolar where yeah. you know at least on the surface every nation plugs into it in seemingly you know equal fashion and not this you know unipolar uh america beating everyone over the head no 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 you know that that's wrong we got to have this multipolar system and then as this multipolar system uh advances you're going to see more integration more intergovernmental um, organizations, you know, whether it's Shanghai cooperation is going to link with BRICS, BRICS is going to link with uh, the India, what is it, Middle East, European economic corridor, all these little things are going to come together. It's being painted as, oh, wow, it's amazing utopia. And then I think once it gets integrated, they're going to take the mask off and it's going to be like <laughs> Hydra. It's like, gotcha, guys. You're, we got you in the web now. <laughs> you know that, that's yeah. kind of my view, my view so you, your, your thoughts on that as well as you know this whole multipolar uh issue and the synthetic hegemonic currency yeah i mean i i think you know there are some potential advantages in terms of uh you know if we think about the way that the unipolar order has conducted itself you know the, the u.s-led hegemony let's let's put it that way it, it it's violent isn't it it's very very violent it, it it basically comes down to warfare it basically comes down to going over to other countries bombing them into oblivion and then stealing all their assets i mean that's that's broad broadly speaking the when, what we mean when we talk about the unipolar model now you know potentially a more balanced system of global power where the us isn't and the, and its allies aren't quite as free to go around bombing other countries that 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 could be a good thing but but the problem is we have really got haven't got a lot of reason to be confident in other countries not bombing other other country you know russia's been involved in i think in the in the 21st century or in, in the last 20 years it's been involved in six wars that's quite a lot of wars for one one country to be involved in. Now, I'm not saying that Russia weren't weren't didn't have good reason to to fight those wars, but nonetheless, that's a lot of military activity for one country to be involved in. So we don't really have much reason to think that they won't continue to exercise military power. They've certainly shown a willingness to exercise military power since Putin's been the president. So so 
and I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just I'm just saying that 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 is a fact that they 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 have got shown a willingness to exercise military power, perhaps out of necessity, but nonetheless they're not afraid to use they're not afraid to use their army and their air force when they want when they need to. So, you know, less so we could say with China. China's more kind of seems to be more interested in using finance and business and. But China's also, you know, quite happy to sell, for example, drone technology to Saudi Arabia so that they can fight in, you know, bomb the people of Yemen and 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 also uh, to then steal the oil from from Yemen while Saudi Arabia are using their drones that have sold to them by the Chinese to enable them to steal the oil. So these things, so so we we can't sort of say, well, automatically assume that a multipolar world order led by different different faces is necessarily going to be any better. I mean, one of the things that we might wonder is if there are these massive blocks of countries all working together, you know, like a Europe, a European Union, you know, Pax Americana, Pax Europa, Pax uh, Asia, wh whatever these blocks that come together. How are they going to maintain internal discipline? Who's who's to say that there won't be breakaway bodies and breakaway and tensions within those blocks? Who's to say if 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 one of those blocks becomes, you know, if a war potentially starts within one of those blocks, how will the other blocks react? What are they going to do? So I don't think we can just assume that a multipolar world order is going to be more peaceful. We can hope, of course, we can hope that that would be that would be the case, you know, and, and, you know, and I certainly do hope that is the case, because one thing is for sure, the multipolar world order is what's coming. But then that's but that's been planned for years. That's been planned. You can go back to. Uh, you know, you can go back to what Carol Quigley was talking about, the, the the three power world in, you know, in the in the in, way back in the 1960s. And he was referring to a plan that was made in the 1930s. So, you, you know, you can look at what the Rockefellers spoke about in, you know, their their um, uh, 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 report that, that when they were looking at the future of, you know, American policy around the world. I can't remember the name of the report now, the, the book that they published, but they were talking about what they were calling regionalization. So the regionalization of the world into blocks, which is multipolar world order. That That's that's what same idea. We can you can look at the Great Reset where the World Economic Forum were talking about how the breakdown of, of global supply chains would lead to a new regional world order without any kind of hege single hegemon. It would be this more kind of balance of power kind of idea, which is, which is inherently part of the so-called Great Reset. That's what, that's what they wrote about in the book, The Great Reset. So it's... No one is opposed to the idea of a multipolar world order. I mean, certainly the central bankers aren't opposed to the idea of a multipolar world order. As they were talking about in, in, in 2019 in Jackson Hole, they were talking about creating a single global system of digital currency specifically to enable a multipolar world order. So this this is not like, it's not like the American uh, financial elite are opposed 
to to the rise of the Chinese financial elite in a new multipolar world order. No, no, no. They're they're they are fully on board with it. They this is what they are all collectively pursuing. So you know, so I mean, if if we're gonna if how are we as individual, you know, us? I mean, we're talking about things that are happening at the global governance level. So both, you know, so for example, Russia and China, absolutely. 100% behind the United Nations. They want the United Nations to be the central focal point for this, for how this new multipolar world order is going to be administrated. So they are talking about and, and advocating, strongly advocating global governance. So this is removing any kind of notion of democratic accountability from everyone on the planet. The, the idea that you... I mean, we barely have any democratic oversight of our own governments. The idea that we've got then got some sort of democratic oversight of a of a centralized global governance committee in the form of the UN is is ridiculous. Of course, we won't have any control over it at all. It'll be it'll be it'll be a massive global bureaucracy that will set policy agenda like sustainable development or you know, which will lead to things like ESG ratings, which will have an impact on small businesses around the world. So it'll all be controlled from that. That's not going to change with a multipolar world order. In fact, it's essential that there is a multipolar world order in order to make that work more efficiently. So so th this is what's happening. But so so what do we do about it? What do we as individuals and people in around the world do about it? Well, one thing we the the whole point of all these systems to manage the the world and manage the economy and to manage our behaviour is that it's to manage us, it's to make us manageable, it's to make us jump through hoops, it's to make us do the thing that is required of us in order ultimately to enrich what I would call a parasite class ultimately, but. You know, nonetheless, at a, a national level or at a regional level, it's to get us to to for, to fulfil the policy objectives that are set at the global governance level. So, what do we do about that? Well, we have to first be aware of it and and be aware of how we are being manipulated and who who is manipulating us and why. That becomes difficult because the, pe the people at the local level, like our local politicians, may not even be aware that they are manipulating us on behalf of, for example, the United Nations. They might believe that they are doing the right thing, you know, that they're, they're doing this because they want to save the planet or something, which is, which is, you know, they, they could be acting from the most noble of intentions. But we need to have our own agency and we need to inform ourselves and we need to be aware of what is actually going on. Because then when we are aware of what is actually going on, we then have a choice. We can either go along with what the our local councillor is telling us to do with this water course, or we can say, no, that's a stupid idea. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to get involved in your silly idea. I don't, I don't want to participate. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with my friends over here. And I am going to do what I think is best for you know, me and my friends and my local community. If that idea starts to spread, 
where we are not going no i'm not just going to do what you tell me because you're you claim to be in a in a position of authority because you know you've been elected by some people that i've never met i i'm going to do what i think is right for me and my family and my local community and we're going to act together responsibly and peaceably to do the thing that we think is right if we if we all start doing that then very rapidly these i these plans to manipulate us from a centralized author, authoritarian place will collapse they won't work and and hopefully then we can have some sort of dialogue about what we do need to do in the future yeah i think that's the right approach uh you know my recent podcast guest ben massman created a community down in panama and it's just we need to just no contact you know and stop just uh pull away from their systems as much as we can and be completely independent and then you know if more and more people do that that'll put a, a spoke in their wheel uh you know a lot of people say that this just came to mind that you know who elected these these globalists but in a way i think we have we have elected our local politicians who have elected to follow globalism so you know we, we are also kind of um in a way culpable because again we've we're allowing our local mayors and and governors and national politicians to you know say yes to all this globalism so we need to get those guys out but anyways i'm more cyanide pilled i i find i find we're we're much further down the line <laughs> on the world government but also what you mentioned the power of the purse where in a multipolar world I, I think who controls the economy is, is that's even more important than military. Yeah. You know, who was it? Was Jefferson, whoever said that, um, whoever, you know, the, the, the central bank being controlled, that that's far worse than having a, you know, a foreign government land on your shores. And, you know, even if in a multipolar system, there's less, even if there is less military physical violence, for me, that's not any, um, doesn't make me sleep better at night because, mm -mm. as you said, there's going to be greater financial control which i think is even worse and more dangerous than military conflict because we, we just talked about it this whole hour where they'll be you know any any population in the world they'll be able to shut us off and we're literally going to be living in a, like a like a ghetto like you know edwin black says it, uh, algorithm ghetto like a jewish ghetto al algorithm ghetto and we'll be like living in a gulag in a way completely impoverished so that's an even greater danger i see in multipolarity even if there is less war um and just one final thought last you, you you mentioned the sdgs and how russia and china are on board with all the un stuff last night i finally listened to uh, james Lindsay's two-hour lecture from new discourses on the sdgs and he's reading from mao in the 20th century and then he's reading through the sdgs and he clearly shows that the sdgs are just you know a new new form of communism collectivism totalitarianism uh and it's 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 pretty clear and so again if russia and china are on board with the sdgs and all these countries well they're still on board with this absolute total uh tyranny so we've covered uh, a lot uh ian any final thoughts uh your link will be in the description uh you know best ways to support you follow you i, I think you also wanted to give a shout out to off, off guardian as well yeah i do yeah 
please. Yeah. Um, yeah off the end of there, they're a very important website for a number of writers and content creators because they enable basically small, smaller bloggers like me. They amplify my reach by by posting my articles. And they don't, it's not just for me. They do this for they just they do this for writers across the board. All all writers that are questioning what we might call the official narratives, who, who are struggling to reach out to to get that information out to a wider audience. The U, the Off Guardian has been extremely important for those writers to enable them to be able to do that. And you know, with the greatest respect, Hervoy, I probably wouldn't be speaking to you now if it wasn't for the Off Guardian. So, um, you know, they're in trouble financially because like a lot of content creators and also I would say as well that Off Guardian as well write fantastic original content as well. So they don't just share other people's work. They write great stuff themselves. Um, they're in trouble financially because like a lot of independent voices, they were cut off from their revenue streams simply because uh, and in in the off gardens case very much because they were questioning the lockdown policies and were questioning the covid-19 response and indeed questioning the whole idea of a pandemic so they were cut off from their from their financial supply so they really need our support and they need people to support so i i urge people to go to offguardian.org i think is it or, or .com i can't remember which um and just just look out for how to support them and give them their your support because they really need it yeah i'll include their link in the description as well they've shared uh, a few of my items as well or uh interviews i believe they got banned from patreon uh, uh, which knocked 50 percent of their funding i was also banned by patreon so yes please people listening if you got a couple bucks uh, give them to off guardian so Ian Davis and his website and to Geopolitics and Empire as well. Geopolitics and Empire is also uh, struggling. You know, I, th I think it's a lot of people are feeling the economy. And so uh, donations, yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. donations have been less than in previous times. And so, yeah, people can look forward to future uh, original analysis from Ian uh, for Geopolitics and Empire, I, I hope, as well as other outlets uh, including uh, Off Guardian and Ian's blog uh, and Substack as well. So as always, Ian, it's it's great having you on. Oh, it's a pleasure, mate. Thank you very much for inviting me. I always enjoy chatting to you, so it's really great. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find geopolitics and empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit and Twitter take down posts. And after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our pro account. The best free way to help Geopolitics and Empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, 
MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.